Good evening, everybody. Uh, my name is Anthony Stander, and I pastor a church called Living Waters Community Fellowship here in Tableview in Cape Town on a Sunday at 10 o'clock. If you've got nowhere to go, you're most welcome to join us or to find us on Facebook. Tonight, uh, um, I have somebody with me, uh, Neil Haysamer. Good evening, everybody. And he'll be helping me with my notes and things, and he's also from Living Waters Community Fellowship. I thought I'd bring a message tonight on the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's such an important subject. A few Christians take time with doctrine nowadays, and we need to understand why the power of our salvation and what God and what our Lord Jesus Christ did for us on that cross. Before we can understand the weapons of our warfare or understanding the deeper things of our Christian faith, it's very good for us to lay a foundation in understanding what it cost us to be saved, how we got saved, and what our Lord Jesus Christ did for us. And the scripture is Revelations 5, uh, opening scripture is Revelations 5 verse 9. And it says, They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people a nation. What an incredible song that's going to be when we all sing it one day before the throne of God. Multitudes upon multitudes singing this song. You and I will be singing this song. Talking to Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue and people and nation. What a day that's going to be. And we don't even know what language will be, the heavenly language will be singing to our Lord Jesus Christ. So the blood is very, understanding the blood of Christ is very important. It's a complex infrastructure in the human body. Any city requires well-organized delivery and defense systems. Every municipal area requires supplies of water, food and electricity. And I want to thank Dr. Peter Hammond for this lecture. I just want to say that now. I actually shared it in my church recently um, as part of a series of the weapons of our warfare. And we began with this uh, lecture. So I just want to thank Dr. Peter Hammond for, the, for the, uh, this lecture. Every municipal area requires supplies of water, food and electricity. These supplies are delivered through a complex infrastructure. Thousands of trucks travel down the freeways, roads and side streets, delivering essential supplies to stores and homes. Other trucks remove refuse to allow the city to function effectively and thrive. It is a biological fact that our bodies have a transportation system far more complex and complete than that of a metropolis. Our body's transportation system cuts through every tissue and organ by means of a network of approximately 100,000 kilometers of blood vessels. Each cell of your body is a hair's breadth from a blood capillary. The heart of this vast system is a pump about the size of an apple that has to pump thousands of liters of blood through its chambers every day, sending blood to every part of your body. This blood carries vital, life-giving oxygen and nutrients to every cell in your body. What an incredible system God has created. Your body has approximately 25 trillion red blood cells, which are much like a postal courier service, carrying all kinds of packages, such as oxygen, that are needed by the cells in your body. Every cell in your body requires oxygen to remain alive. 
If the blood is cut off from any part of your body, it deprives that part of the body of oxygen and will cause death to that body part. If the brain is deprived of oxygen, it causes a stroke and that part of the brain dies. If the heart is deprived of oxygen, such as because of a blockage in an artery, that would cause a heart attack. While the red blood cells transport essential nutrients and life-giving oxygen, the white blood cells in your body are like billions of little tanks, protecting your body from infection and disease. Isn't that incredible? There are five different types of these white blood cells, and each one is trained to go after a different enemy. Just one drop of your blood can contain anything from 7,000 to 25,000 white blood cells. The number of them increases when your body is fighting an illness. It works much like the military calling up reserves in a time of war. In times of illness and infection, your body will multiply the number of white blood cells to fight the infection and to protect your health. How wonderful is that? As far as our skeletal structure is concerned, our, bone, our bones do double duty. Not only do they support our body keeping us upright and keeping us from being like jellyfish, but the bones are hollow. On the inside of these bones are marvelous little factories that operate day and night, producing billions of these little red blood cell delivery trucks and white blood cell defensive tanks. Overseeing and coordinating the entire operation is the brain and the heart which keeps the blood flowing. The life is in the blood. Over 3,400 years ago, God said, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Leviticus 17.11 No one could have understood it until quite recently, just how profound that truth is. The first reference we have to blood in the Bible is in Genesis 4.10-11. God says, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And if we think of today of how much blood is shed on the earth and murders that are not punished and, and, and that and what terrible curses has come upon the earth even today. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your soul. For it is the blood that makes atonement for your soul. Leviticus 17.11 Whoever sheds man's blood. After the flood, God communicated a covenant with Noah and his descendants for perpetual generations. Genesis 9, 4-12 Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. Genesis 9, 6 Think of easily we shed blood. We don't count it as much. But with God and in the Old Testament for thousands of years, it was very important. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If you shed somebody's blood, by uh, your blood was shed as you had shed that person's blood. It was very important to God. It's just as important today. Hebrews 9.22 says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there's no remission. So all things are purified with blood and without shedding of blood, there's no remission. Zechariah 9.11 says, As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, 
I will set your prisoners free. Exodus 12.13 says, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see that blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. How much more Christ's blood on our heart can protect us from the enemy? The fountain of salvation. In that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for uncleanness. Zechariah 13.1 The blood of Christ is a synonym for the gospel. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that redeems us from all sin. Matthew 26.28 says, But this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The first greeting that Christ received was that which, was, which hailed the power of the blood. When John the Baptist cried out, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. John 1.29 The last recorded salutation that Christ will receive will be the song of the redeemed. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal. For you were slain and redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Can you imagine multitude are singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom and strength, honor and glory and blessing. I think that just about covers everything. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever as that great song resounds through the universe like thunderclaps. Revelations 5, 9 to 13. Sin is the breaking of the law of God. A broken law demands a penalty. The wages of sin is death. All men have broken the law of God and are under the sentence of eternal death. Christ Jesus died as our substitute in our place. He rendered complete obedience to the law of God and made full atonement for our sins. Colossians 1.20 And by him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. It's the blood of Jesus Christ is, is so precious. The Puritan writer John Milton declared that the greatness and sacredness of man's soul is attested to by two facts. First, that the creation of his soul is in the image of eternal God. And second, that the price that has been paid for the redemption of the soul is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Set free. Christ redeemed us from the bondage and slavery of sin. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed, you're not saved with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Sin has alienated and separated us from God. Isaiah 59, 1-3 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, our wicknesses, have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, and your lips have spoken lies, and your tongue has muttered perversity. Even in human relationships, wrongdoing produces separation and alienation. 
The divorce courts are full of examples of how evil doing separates and alienates those who were once close. If that is true between people, it is also true between God and man. Sin always alienates and separates us from the presence of God. The question is, how can man and God be reconciled? How can we be reconciled to God? Well, the answer is by the precious blood of Christ. Colossians 1.20 says, And by him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. The blood of Jesus Christ justifies us from the guilt of sin. It redeems us from the slavery of sin. It reconciles us after the separation of sin. And it cleanses our conscience from the burden and shame of sin. 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. Notice how many times the New Testament speaks about the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 5 verse 9 says, Much more then, having been now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. From God's wrath. Wrath is a strong form of anger. We have been saved by Jesus Christ's blood from that. According to the legend of the Holy Grail, Joseph Arimathea took down the body of Christ from the cross, carried the vessel, the Holy Grail, in which he had caught some of the blood of Christ, to Glastonbury, where you can still see the ruins of the cathedral on an island in Somerset. There in Glastonbury, Joseph formed the Order of Knights, whose duty it was to protect the precious blood. The chief of these knights was made their king. At certain seasons, the king unveiled the golden cup which held the precious blood. Then glorious and radiant light fell on the faces of all the knights and endued them with strength from on high. But only the pure in heart could look upon that cup and behold the light which streamed from the blood of Christ. This beautiful story has played a great part in the songs and poetry of our race. The scripture says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as wool, as snow, and though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Romans 3.25 Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. This is a beautiful hymn many of us have sung which says, one of the verses, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood and lose all their guilty stains. Haven't we all that know Christ gone plunged beneath that flood and been washed clean of our past lives and our old ways and our brokenness and our fears and our darkness and our depressions and all the things that have brought us to nothing, all our sins that brought us to nowhere in the world, we plunged beneath that flood and all our guilty stains were washed away. Romans 5 verse 9 says, Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Ephesians 1 7 In him, in Jesus, we have redemption by his blood, salvation. We are saved, set free. Sin is broken. We are able to live a fulfilling life. We, all our chains are broken by his blood. 
In him we have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the richness of his grace. Isn't it incredible that God takes people like us and who are broken in the world, shattered, our lives are going nowhere, washed us clean, gave us a brand new start, washed us in his blood. And we became whole again and have served him with all our hearts. Saved by their blood, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of the Sherlock Holmes series, wrote a book on the history of the Anglo-Boer War, in which he tells of a detachment of British soldiers who were overwhelmed by the Boers and fell back under heavy fire. They wounded lay in a perilous position facing certain death. One of them, a corporal in the Salon Mounted Infantry, later told that they all realized they had to come immediately under the protection of a red cross flag if they wanted to survive. And all they had was a piece of white cloth, but no red paint. So they used the blood from their own wounds to make a large cross on that white cloth. When the Boers saw the red cross on a, cross on a white flag, the firing ceased. A truce was called, and the Boers stood back while the British wounded were carried to safety. The Stone Table In C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, Edmund had been enslaved by the White Witch. He had been foolish, rebellious and evil. He had become a traitor to his own brothers and sisters. When the great lion Aslan came to rescue him, the Wicked Witch reminded him of the deep magic that was written on the Stone Table, that every traitor belonged to her and she had the right to the blood of every sinner. Then to the amazement of all, after Aslan spoke privately to her, she let Edmund go. Later that night, Aslan surrendered himself into the witch's camp. They took him, shaved off his magnificent mane, ridiculed him, beat him, spat upon him and tied him upon the stone table. The witch sharpened a knife, drew near and plunged it into the lion's heart, killing him. From a distant, Lucy and Susan wept in grief. The next morning they went to recover his body, but they found the stone table broken and the body of Aslan was nowhere to be seen. Then turning around they saw him and found him larger than they'd ever seen him before, shaking his magnificent mane, fully and physically alive. Susan and Lucy hugged and kissed Aslan, weeping for joy. Then they asked him, but Aslan, what does this mean? Aslan replied, it means that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper which she still did not know. Her knowledge only goes back to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and darkness before time dawned, she would have read that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in the traitor's place, the table would crack and death itself would start to work backwards. Isn't that what our Lord Jesus did for us? Isaiah 53, 5-11 he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our wickednesses, iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity and the wickedness of us all. For the transgression of my people he was stricken, and the Lord makes his life a guilt offering. My righteous service will justify, servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Didn't Jesus do that for you and me? When we should have been beaten, when we should have been punished, when we should have been crucified, when we should have been mocked and spat upon and, and, and thorns bashed into our head, Christ stood in 
in the path of that wrath and took it upon himself so that we could be saved. In 1 Corinthians 5, 6-8, the word of God says, Christ is our Passover lamb. Romans 8, 3, our sin offering. Romans 3, 25, our atonement. When Christ, the perfect Son of God, a lamb without spot or blemish, 1 Peter 1, 19, shed his precious blood on the cross, it was a substitutionary death. He died for us in our place, 1 Peter 3, 18 the innocent for the guilty and the just in the place of the unjust. 1 Peter 2, 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4, 10, This is love. You know, there's so many songs that says, What is love? You know, I remember when I was growing up, that famous song, What is love? You know? But the, the Word of God tells us in 1 John 4, 10, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a atoning sacrifice for our sin. A vision of Christ's cross and blood. Raymond Lowell was born in 1132 into a wealthy family on an island off the coast of Spain. His early life was spent in debauchery and as he later put it, utter immorality. Yet he was recognized by his peers in Spain as a young man of brilliance and promise. During his early 30s, Raymond was born again as a result of a vision where he saw the Saviour hanging upon his cross, the blood trickling from his hands, feet and brow, looking reproachfully at him. As a result, Raymond Lull gave his life to Christ and devoted himself to the ministry, becoming a missionary to the Muslims, eventually dying a martyr's death at age 80 while taking the gospel to the Muslims. It was his vision of the cross and the blood of Christ that led him to take up his cross and shed his own blood in the service of the Saviour. Transformed by the blood of Christ. I love this story. It really made an impact on me, the one I'm going to tell you now. Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf was born into one of Europe's leading families in the year 1700. He grew up in an atmosphere of Bible reading, prayer and hymn singing. He excelled in school and seemed to possess all the qualities for national leadership. After finishing his studies at the University of Wittenberg, Zinzendorf embarked on the grand tour of Europe, attending lectures, visiting museums, palaces and universities. It was while visiting the Art Museum at Düsseldorf that the young Count von Zinzendorf had a deeply moving experience that changed the rest of his life. As he looked upon Behold the Man, a portrait of the suffering Saviour with his crown of thorns. He read the inscription below this famous portrait, I did this for thee, what have you done for me? Count Nicholas van Zinzerov admitted, I have loved him for a long time, but I have never actually done anything for him. From now on I will do whatever he leads me to do. Dr. Peter Hammond said it was this testimony that I remember hearing on the 3rd of April 1977 that led me to stand up and walk forward and bow before Christ, giving my life to him. That very night I clearly remember determining I'd spend the rest of my life serving Christ. The same can be said for me. And when I, as a young Christian, understood what Christ had some understanding of what Christ did on the cross for us, it impacted me so greatly that I committed my life to him completely. And for 36 years, I haven't looked to the left or to the right. I've served him because if he could do that for me. What can I not do for him?
Count Nicholas van Zinzerov went on to found a spiritual community on his property, Herrenhut. This dynamic community experienced spiritual revival, launched a continuous prayer chain that lasted for 150 years, during which time they sent out 2,500 Moravian missionaries worldwide. Those young missionaries, some of them only 19 and 20, carved their names on the gravestones and took the gravestones with them. They just left the date out because they knew they were never coming back. Many came to Africa and, and you had a two-year life span in Africa at that stage, from whether you died from malaria or, or wild tribes or slave traders or whatever misfortune fell you, befell you. But they took their gravestones with them and they went and never came back. They went to take the Gospels to the far reaches of the world because the cross had changed their lives utterly. We also read the testimony of Francis Ridley Havergal, the British uh, musician and devotional writer, who visited the same art museum in Dusseldorf, Germany, in January 1858. While gazing upon the same picture of Christ, she was struck by the caption, I did this for thee, what have you done for me? That must have been quite a painting to have affected so many people's lives. Deeply moved, Frances Havergal wrote some lines of poetry to be the basis for him. Later, she was not satisfied with his first attempt and tossed the paper into the fire, but the pages fell out untouched. Some months later, she showed them to her father, encouraged her to preserve them. He even wrote a melody to accompany her words. The resulting hymn, I Gave My Life for Thee, was first published in 1860 and launched Frances Ridley Havergal as a serious composer of hymns. I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou might be ransomed be, and quickened from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee, what hast thou given for me? Francis Havergal went on to compose such classic hymns such as Like a River Glorious, Who is on the Lord's Side, I am trusting thee, Lord Jesus, and take my life and let it be. The one-time slave trader John Newton, who after his conversion wrote the classic hymn Amazing Grace, after being the most evil of men, he wrote that wonderful hymn Amazing Grace when he found Christ, also wrote these words on his vision of the cross. In evil long I took delight, unawed by shame, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agonies and blood, who fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Have you ever been to Calvary? Have you seen a vision of the cross? You cannot look gaze upon the cross and not be changed. You cannot stand there and look what Christ did for us, for it not to impact our lives and say, if Jesus was prepared to go so far for me, how far will I go for him? Charles Spurgeon said, stand at the foot of the cross. Count the purple drops by which you have been cleansed. See the crown of thorns. Marked his scourged shoulders still gushing in with crimson rolls. And if you do not surrender your life to Christ on the ground before that cross, you've never seen it. Have you seen it? Have you been to Calvary? Romans 5, 8-11 God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, 
How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Christ died for you. Are you living for him? Let us just close in prayer. Father God, Lord, we just thank you for this time, Lord. I pray for everyone that has heard this word, that it will inspire them to step up to greater, do greater works for you, Lord. Lord, that will uh, inspire us to serve you with all our hearts, Lord. That will inspire us to go to the ends of the earth if necessary, to carry your word to the lost and to the dying. For those that are not saved, I want to say to you, give your life to Christ. Repent. Ask forgiveness of sins. Put your trust in our Lord Jesus Christ and you too will be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.